Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. It's me again, Meredith Morgenstern, fiction editor at Tales to Terrify, back with another episode celebrating Women in Horror Month. Tales to Terrify is committed to highlighting the incredible diversity within the horror community. Therefore, when we talk about women in horror, we mean all women. Since it's not only Women in Horror Month, but also Black History Month here in the U.S., this week I'd like to talk about horror specifically written by amazingly talented Black women authors. Full disclosure, I'm not Black. I can't talk about the Black experience in horror from personal experience, nor I think can any one person represent an entire group. What I can do is highlight some of my favorite stories and books that happen to be written by very talented and creative Black women. Of course, we can't have a discussion of Black women in horror without first paying respect to a living legend, Tanana Reeve Du. For me, it's impossible to think of horror at all without her name popping up. She's an award-winning writer, teacher, producer, and even appeared as a guest judge on the Boulay Brothers show, Dragula. She's basically a one-woman ambassador for our genre. If you haven't read her work yet, I highly recommend starting with her novel, My Soul to Keep. Unless you've been living under an internet rock for the past few years, you've probably heard of African futurism author Nnedi Okorafor. African futurism, a term coined by Okorafor, describes a style of literature, art, music, and other forms of expression rooted in African culture and mythology without centralizing the West. My favorite book of hers, Who Fears Death, 
expertly blends futuristic sci-fi, fantasy witchcraft, and dystopian horror. I think of Eden Royce as the queen of horror anthologies. She stands out as both editor and author of several collections, including Spooklight's Southern Gothic Horror and its follow-up Spooklight's 2. If you're listening right now, you clearly love both horror and podcasts. So check out Nightlight, a podcast run by the fabulous Tanya Ransom that features horror written exclusively by Black authors and read by Black narrators. These are only a few of the many, many Black women in the horror genre. There's also L.A. Banks, Elmarie Wood, Sumiko Salson, Constance Burris, Jewel Gomez, and so many others. If I tried to list every single one, we wouldn't have time for stories this week. So here are some specific titles I love, and you should definitely check them out. Beloved by Toni Morrison, White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi, and Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. Also, Diversity in Horror's blog features a thorough list of horror written by a wide range of voices over at diversityhorror.blogspot.com. Link is in the show notes. Make sure you let us know about your favorite horror written by Black women by tagging us at Tales to Terrify over on Twitter. We have two terrifying stories for you this evening, written and narrated by a few disturbing dames of dread and a couple of non-binary nightmare benders. Our first story is What Doesn't Kill You by Michelle Ann King. Michelle Ann King is a short story writer from Essex, England. Her stories of fantasy, science fiction, crime, and horror have appeared in over a hundred different venues, including Strange Horizons, Interzone, Black Static, and Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show. Her collections are available in ebook and paperback from Amazon and other online retailers, and links to her published stories can be found at her website transientcactus.co.uk. Children of the Night, join me for Michelle Ann King's What Doesn't Kill You, first published in Transient Tales, Volume 1, January 2013. Roasting beef, fresh vegetables, real coffee, wonderful aromas that she'd almost forgotten. The meal had torn a massive hole in their rations, but Olivia didn't care about that. Robert was home. That was the only thing that mattered. Come and sit down, Carol said. The food's ready. Olivia turned, surprised to see her set only two plates on the dining table. What about Robert? What about Robert? He's in the bath. Still? Well, he must be clean by now. I'll go and get him. No. Carol's hand shot out and grabbed her wrist. Let him be. Sit down. Eat your dinner. Olivia stared at her. What's the matter? Carol let go of her arm and looked away. They said it was a chemical spill, the first time. An accident. Do you remember that? Olivia frowned. Yes, uh, but what? We watched it on the news, Carol went on. There were people being rescued and evacuated, like it was a flood or an earthquake. Everyone packed into community centres and church halls, being given cups of tea and wrapped in blankets donated by Oxfam. They cleared the area for five miles. Five miles. 
Can you imagine trying that now? She sat down at the table and looked at her plate, but didn't pick up her knife and fork. Olivia put a hand on her shoulder. Don't, she said gently. I know it looks bad, but they're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. Carol shook her off, her eyes glistening. It was a mistake, she said. A baby. It's too much. Too much pressure. Olivia put a hand instinctively, protectively, on her stomach. What do you mean? Why would you say that? Finally, Carol raised her head and looked Olivia in the eye. You still don't get it, do you? The kitchen clock ticked, overly loud in the small room. Goose flesh prickled Olivia's arms, and she tried to rub some warmth back into them. Get what? Why he came home tonight. Why they let him. No, I, I don't. What are you talking about? It's getting worse. You must know that. We all know it, even if we don't want to face it. Those gas explosions in Birmingham, the warehouse fire in Glasgow, the riots in Coventry, they're stories, cover-ups. They want people to believe those things, because you can put out a fire and you can break up a riot, but there's nothing anyone can do about a blight. Carol pushed her plate away. A drop of congealed gravy slid off the side. The smell of meat, warm and rich, soured in Olivia's nostrils. What's wrong with you? This is supposed to be a special night. Carol's eyes were flat and empty. It's goodbye. Don't you see, Olivia? Don't you understand? Robert, all the others, they've practically been prisoners in that lab. Why would they suddenly give them time off? Now, when things are worse than ever? I'll tell you. Because they know there's no point in trying anymore. That's why. They've given up. They know it's over. Olivia shook her head. I don't know what you're talking about, she said. I'm going to get Robert. Don't, Carol said, but her voice had lost all its force. Olivia got up and went to the bathroom. The door was closed, with a piece of notepaper taped at eye level. I'm sorry, the note said. I wanted us to go together, but I just couldn't do it. I hope you can find your own way, and that you'll forgive me. I love you. There was a smudge of ink, then it continued on the line underneath. Olivia, call the police. Don't come in. Olivia sat on the bed and stared at the pattern on the wallpaper, slender green sprigs against a silver background, as if it might reveal some secret or explain how any of this had happened. Maybe tell her what she was supposed to do next. I wanted us to go together, she said. Her tongue felt too large for her mouth, the words awkward and slow. That's what he said. Is that what he really came home to do? Kill me. Kill our baby. She let out a long, juddering breath. Is it that bad? Is it really that bad? Carol stood in the doorway, leaning against the frame. He must have thought so. Could you do it? Olivia asked. What he couldn't? Could you kill me? Carol looked down at her. Do you want me to? Her voice held no expression, as if she were offering nothing more than to go and fetch the rations. I heard we were... I heard we might be able to swap eggs for bread today. Do you want me to? The baby was a girl. Miranda, they decided. Miranda Jane. Could you have killed him? She asked. Robert. Could you have taken that razor yourself and cut his wrists? Carol said nothing for a long time. Then she closed her eyes. No. No, Olivia said. And I'm not going to kill my baby either. She struggled to her feet. I'm going outside. It's not safe, Carol said. Is it any safer in here? That still got in, didn't it? This whole place stinks of it. Now, if you don't mind, please get the fuck out of my way. For a moment, Carol stayed where she was, blocking the doorway. Then she did as she was told. Olivia jabbed the call button on the landing, and the lift responded straight away. One of the remaining advantages afforded to the families of government personnel. The building was looked after. The electricity supply maintained. 
security provided. Or it used to be, anyway. Today, Olivia walked straight through the lobby. The guard station was empty, the screens blank. There had once been guards around the blight outside, too. Roadblocks, metal fences, warning signs, blank-faced men with guns. For your safety, please do not proceed further. But resources had been tested, then stretched, then snapped. So many people displaced, so much land lost, the priorities became simple. Shelter, food, public order, hurtling back down the slope of Maslow's hierarchy. She stopped. Ahead, the edge of the blight was clearly visible, the rubble and ruin, the grey weeds, the bones. There was nothing left to stop anyone walking straight in, if they wanted. Go there, stay there, die there. One less body to find space for, one less mouth to feed. How many had made that choice? Fewer buildings were lit up at night, their ration lines were shorter, not longer. She'd been pleased, to the extent that she'd noticed at all. More for her, for Carol, for Miranda. She'd been so blind, for so long. What was it like, to die in the blight, to rot from the inside out? Was it worse than sitting in a tub of hot water and watching it turn red? Olivia picked her way through the broken glass and debris strewn across the road. This had been Coltswood Avenue, when she and Robert had first come to live here. A nice street, with yellow brick terraces on one side and white-painted bungalows on the other. Cherry trees alternating with lampposts and shiny cars lined up in the neat driveways. Now the buildings were all in various stages of decay. Some had most of their walls, and even part of a roof. But many had crumbled to nothing more than a pile of brick and dust. The cars were rusted sculptures of metal, looking like some kind of ancient industrial fossils. Unidentifiable bones crunched underfoot, sharp fragments poking through the thin soles of her shoes. It looked like the lost civilization of a thousand years ago. Hello, said a voice. Olivia jumped, her heart jerking in her chest. The voice belonged to a child, maybe seven or eight years old, tall and long-haired, dressed in dirty jeans and a sweatshirt that might once have been green. Girl or boy, she couldn't immediately tell. My name is Charlotte, the girl said. But you can call me Charlie if you like. My mum used to. What's your name? You have a very big belly. I'm Olivia. She smiled and rested a hand on her stomach. Uh, and yes, I do. It's because I'm having a baby. A little girl. She's going to be called Miranda. That's a nice name, Charlie said. Will she come and play with me? I'm sure she'd like that. When she's old enough. Olivia stepped forward. What are you doing here, Charlie? Where are your parents? Charlie turned and pointed to the remains of a house further down the street. I live down there, but I don't have parents anymore. I used to have a mum and a granny, but they got sick. Now it's just me and Leo. He's my brother. He's fourteen. I'm seven and a half. That means I'm a little lady. How old are you? You look quite old. Leo is a teenager, which means he's a moody bastard. That's what my granny used to say anyway. Olivia let out a choked laugh. Charlie grinned and bounced on the soles of her feet. Uh, and you live here, Olivia said. You and Leo, uh, you live here? Yes. Would you like to come see our house? Olivia hesitated and looked behind her. Already it seemed like the start of the blight was further away. She could go back. But to what? She turned to Charlie and nodded. Okay. The girl smiled and took her hand. Some of the lampposts had fallen, collapsed in the road or on top of the cars. Some still stood but were bent or swaying precariously. Some of the trees looked blasted, as if struck by lightning. Some appeared to have melted into a grey-brown sludge that dripped in slow motion off the curb. A strange smell, half sweet and half rotten, drifted on the sluggish breeze. This used to be Mr and Mrs Bailey's house, Charlie said. Ours fell down, so we couldn't stay there. She led Olivia to one of the soundest-looking houses, into what might once have been a living room. Shelves still lined one wall, some with tattered remnants of books stuck to them, 
a mossy, lumpy shape that might have been a sofa. A fused mess of metal and wires might have been a television. Two sleeping bags, one plain blue and one with a pattern of cartoon pigs, were rolled on the floor, between grey, twisting branches that had broken up through the patchy carpet. A glass jug rested nearby, three quarters full of greyish water. Mrs Bailey was called Mabel, and she used to give me sweets, Charlie said. But then they got sick too. She picked something off the ground and held out her hand, palm upwards. Would you like some sweets? The object she was holding could have been small fruits once. Plums, maybe. But now they were swollen, shiny and dark. Olivia recoiled. I know they look funny, the girl said. But they're okay, really. She popped one into her mouth, chewed and swallowed. I didn't like the food here much at first. But you get used to it, she smiled, showing teeth stained black. Sometimes things don't taste very nice, but that means they're good for you, like spinach. That's what my granny used to say. She broke off as something that looked like a large grey butterfly fluttered past. Ooh, she said, and grabbed it in one fist. Brown liquid trickled between her fingers onto the floor. She opened her hand and licked the palm. Olivia stepped backwards, tripped over one of the questing roots and almost fell. Are you all right? Charlie said. You don't look very well. I'm fine, she said. I just need to go and sit down for a while. She found a smile. Charlie, do you ever get sick living here? The girl flashed Olivia a grin. Apart from those discoloured teeth, she looked healthy. Strong. No, she said. Never. Will you come back later, after you've had your nap? Olivia swallowed hard then nodded. Yes, she said. I will. Carol held Olivia's hair back with one hand and rubbed her neck with the other. I thought you didn't want to die, she said. Olivia heaved again, but there was nothing left in her stomach. Her abdomen muscles felt shaky and sprung. I don't. Then why the hell do you keep going out there? Think about what you're doing to yourself, to the baby. Of course I'm thinking about it. It's all I ever think about. She wiped her mouth at the back of her hand and struggled to her feet. You haven't seen them, Carol. Charlie and Leo. The way they live is disgusting, yes, I'm not denying that. It's foul, the whole place. But it doesn't have to kill you. If they can do it, so can I. So can we. You're out of your mind, girl. What other choice do I have? You were right. It's getting bigger. Every day, more ground is gone. There's nowhere left to run, and no one's coming to fix it. You were right about that, too. So we have to find a way to live with it. That's the only choice we've got left. Carol put her hands on Olivia's shoulders and turned her to face the mirror. Look at yourself. Look at what it's doing to you. Olivia stared at the rough grey patches on her face, at the sores. I'm still alive, she said. The baby kicked, hard. And so's Miranda. That's what matters. She smiled. What doesn't kill you, right? Carol flinched away from the reflection of her stained teeth, and Olivia pulled out of her grip. It wasn't hard. There was no strength in Carol's hands. She'd been a big woman once, but now she was just bones jutting at sharp angles under sagging skin. Don't, Carol said. Don't go back out there. Olivia paused in the doorway and looked back at her. I don't have to, she said. Didn't you notice? She ran a hand over the wall and the tile dissolved into a stream of thick dust. It's come to us. She turned and held out her hand. Come on, we should get out of here. Carol laughed, a weak but wild sound. And go where? There's nowhere left to run, remember? We'll go to Charlie and Leo's. Take clothes, supplies, whatever we've got left. Some of it may survive. Come on, Carol, now. We're on the fourth floor here. If the building comes down fast, it'll be bad. We need to get outside. Into the blight. Yes. Carol shook her head. No. I don't want to die like that. Olivia followed her gaze. That's an option, she said, looking at the enamel bath. We still have razor blades but I don't think it's as pleasant without the hot water. Carol didn't answer. 
Olivia packed as much as she thought might be useful into a bag and waited outside the building. She waited for a long time, until the walls began to soften and slide. Then she shouldered her bag and walked away. Charlie met her at what used to be the garden wall. She scuffed at the dusty ground, kicked away a chunk of broken glass. Clean streaks showed through the dirt on her cheeks. What's wrong? Olivia said. Charlie, what's the matter? Leo, Charlie said. It came out barely above a whisper. Leo? What's wrong with Leo? He got sick. Sick? Olivia's stomach twisted. What do you mean? Uh, did he have an accident? A fall? Cuts and bruises, broken bones. Injuries were temporary. Fixable. No, Charlie said. I've been trying to show him how to build things, but he wouldn't listen. You have to be nice. You have to ask you. Where is he? Olivia said. Charlie jerked her head towards the house. He's asleep. Inside, Charlie's sleeping bag was opened out and flat. Leo's was zipped up, his unruly brown hair spilling over the top. Olivia edged closer. Leo? It's Olivia. Are you okay? No response. She crouched down, carefully, by his side. Leo? Can you hear me? Still nothing. Olivia shook his shoulder and it crumpled under her hand, releasing a puff of foul-smelling air. She coughed and whipped her head aside. Oh, Leo, she said. His body, shriveled and desiccated, lay in the fetal position. His face was hollow, the skin stretched tight. In some places it had torn, revealing mottled bone underneath. A length of one of the grey weeds, torn and lifeless, lay underneath him. Two nights ago, she'd been teaching him campfire songs. Now he looked like he'd been dead for months. Olivia let her head drop. This wasn't supposed to happen. The kids were supposed to be all right. The kids were supposed to live. She took a deep breath, and it turned into a sob. Charlie appeared behind her. Is Leo better now? No, honey, no. I'm afraid he's not. Olivia held out her arms and Charlie walked into them. Are we going to be all right? She said. Olivia stroked her hair. She dug deep for confidence, for reassurance, and found only dust. The kids were supposed to live. I don't know, she said. I, I don't know, Charlie. The girl rested in her arms for a while longer, then pulled back. She wiped her eyes. I'll bury him, she said. And we can say goodbye. Charlie, I... It's all right. I can dig. I know what to do. We used to have a cat, and it was called Oscar, and it got very old, and we dug a hole in the garden, and I helped, and my granny said I was brave, and that Oscar would be happy in the garden because it was pretty. The garden here isn't very pretty now, but I think Leo would still be happy because we're here, and he's not on his own. He didn't like being on his own. Olivia put a hand on her throat, trying to massage away the pain. Okay, she said. Okay, we'll do that. At the back of the house, the patio had sunk into the earth. A wooden, pub-style bench, tilted and half-submerged, stuck out from the brown, crisped lawn. Olivia cleared away a tangle of blackened rose bushes and rotted fence panels, and Charlie scraped out a shallow trench. Ashes to ashes, Olivia began and could go no further. Charlie stood with her head bowed, then raised her hand and waved. Bye, she said. Olivia closed her eyes. When she opened them, one of the spiny grey weeds was already snaking over the freshly turned earth. She reached for it, but Charlie grabbed her arm. No, she said. Leave it. All right, Olivia said, and let Charlie take her back inside. The duvet she'd brought with her had more holes than material, but she spread it on the ground anyway and lowered herself awkwardly down. The baby kicked, a fluttering pain. Hello, Miranda, Olivia said, and her voice cracked. Charlie's face lightened. Is it the baby? she said. Can I feel? Olivia took the girl's hand and laid it on her stomach. Miranda kicked again, and Charlie gave a start. Hello, Miranda, she said, and smiled. Will she be coming out soon? 
I think so, Olivia said. That's good, Charlie said, then cocked her head. Isn't it, Olivia? Isn't it a good thing? Olivia closed her eyes. How was she supposed to answer that? She'd had a plan, once. All arrangements carefully made and checked. She'd gone to classes, studied textbooks, bought everything she thought might be needed. The car always kept full of petrol. The lab's emergency number on speed dial. Robert had promised he would get there. And then everything had gone to hell. And she'd come up with a different kind of plan. To fight where others had given up. To beat the odds. Because the kids were supposed to be all right. Because the kids were supposed to live. Miranda kicked her again. Olivia put her head down and cried. Charlie slipped a hand into hers. What are we going to do now? Olivia swallowed hard, scuffed a hand over her cheek. We're going to wait, she said. Wait? Oh, you mean for the baby? Yes, Olivia lied. For the baby. The sound of her name brought Olivia slowly, unhappily, out of sleep. No, she said. Go away. Charlie shook her shoulder. Wake up. It's time to eat. You have to eat. It's for Miranda. You have to be eating for two. That's what my granny used to say. Olivia surfaced properly, rolling onto her elbow. Look, I found these, Charlie said. She reached into a half-melted plastic bag and pulled out what looked like a flat, rough-textured mushroom. The cap was a dark grey colour, the underside black. They were growing outside. I think Leo made them. They're really nice. She sank her teeth into it, the soft flesh tearing easily. Here, she said. I've got loads of them. These are for you. Olivia pushed them away. I don't want it. Go away, Charlie. No, you have to eat. She thrust it out again. I said I don't want it. I don't want anything. You have to. It's for Miranda. She'll want it. Come on, Olivia. She grabbed Olivia's hand and thrust one of the mushrooms into it. Eat. Olivia groaned. It was warm to the touch and slightly damp. She held it up to her nose. Smelled dark earth. Not unpleasant. Her stomach grumbled. Charlie smiled happily and nodded. It's good she said. Eat it. Olivia pushed her away again. Stop it, Charlie. Leave me alone. No. Charlie sat back on her heels, her face stubborn. We're going to have breakfast, and then we're going to do chores. We have to get everything ready. Chores? Olivia laughed. Oh, Charlie, there are no chores. Not any more. That's all over. Finished. Everything's finished. No, it's not. Charlie said. Come on, we have to make a new house. For Miranda. She pulled at Olivia's sleeve. I can't. I just... I can't. Yes, you can. It's not that hard. I can show you. Look. Charlie got up and grabbed one of the spiny weeds that climbed in and out of the shattered walls. She winced as the thorns dug into her palm and a drop of blood, thick and dark, slid down the weed's grey surface. It sank in leaving no trace. Charlie lifted her hands, pulling the weed with her. She stepped back and kept going. The weed came too, coiling smoothly out of the broken foundations. At its base, it was thicker than Olivia's arm. Charlie let go, but it didn't drop. It kept moving, following her. She grasped another, held it up next to the first. They joined, flowing and blending together into a coarse, fibrous growth a foot wide, arching over Charlie's head. She pulled her hand down and it stayed in place. She turned to Olivia and beamed. See? Olivia stared. How did you do that? Charlie shrugged. You just do. You have to let them bite you first, and then they'll do what you want. She hauled on another weed and joined it to the first two, making a half-dome. It's going to be an igloo, she said, so we can pretend we're explorers. Olivia huffed out a breath that turned into a surprised laugh. Slowly and painfully, her ears ringing, she got up. The weed structure looked firm, solid. She looked at it from all angles, her eyes wide. Charlie took up one of the smaller weeds, held it out. Now you try. Olivia hesitated, then put out a tentative hand.
The weed wrapped itself around her palm, loosely at first, then tighter. The thorns broke the skin and sank into her flesh. Blood, rich and red, flowed down her arm. She gasped and instinctively pulled her injured hand close to her chest. The weed came with it. It's okay, Charlie said. It only hurts for a little while. But the pain didn't stop. It burned, fierce and hot through her muscles. The weed tightened its grip, the spines feeling as if they were clawing at the bone. She shrieked and tried to shake it off, but she couldn't dislodge it. Don't, Charlie said. Don't do that. The weed plumped up, and more of it came shooting out of the ground. It draped itself across her shoulders, the thorns like a rush of bee stings, then wrapped around her, coiled lazily around her chest, her arms, her stomach, dug in. She beat at it, trying to yank it out, but it was stuck fast. Blood soaked through the thin, stretched material of her T-shirt, blooming into dozens of little flowers. She screamed again. Charlie began to cry. You have to let it, she said. You have to let it, Olivia. A lightning burst of pain blazed through Olivia's stomach, lighting up every nerve ending and arching her spine. Sudden, wet warmth told her what was happening. She gasped out Charlie's name. The baby's coming, she said. The baby's coming now. Don't fight it. Charlie said. They won't hurt you if you don't fight. Pain forced Olivia to the ground. Blood continued to flow, but slower now, more sluggish. She watched it turn black, then closed her eyes and let the pain sweep her away. Olivia turned over the earth in the garden with a rake improvised from a broom handle and broken glass. Satisfied, she scattered a handful of seed pods for the thing she still called mushrooms and poked them down into the warm, damp ground. A tiny shoot nuzzled her fingers, nipped it gently. A familiar cry broke the silence, and Charlie came out of the igloo with Miranda in her arms. I think she's hungry. Olivia took the baby and handed the seed bag to Charlie. I'll feed her. You carry on with the planting. Okay, Charlie said, and bent over the furrowed earth. Olivia sat down with her back against the weed walls of their home and guided the squalling baby to her breast. Miranda hushed immediately, little teeth sharp like thorns against Olivia's skin. She suckled, pausing every now and then to coo happily. Olivia smiled and wiped away a drop of black milk from the baby's chin. She laid a kiss on top of her head and lay back, inhaling the warm, earthy scent of her skin. That was Michelle Ann King's What Doesn't Kill You, as read by Georgia Cook. Georgia Cook is an illustrator and writer from London. She has experience on both sides of the recording booth, and in addition to Tales to Terrify, has contributed to such podcasts as The Other Stories and The Night's End as both a narrator and writer. She can be found on Twitter at Georgia Cooked and on her website at georgiacookwriter.com. Thank you, Georgia. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Our second story is Bella's Brood by E.E.W. Christman. E.E.W. Christman is a queer, non-binary writer of horror and fantasy living in the Pacific Northwest. Their work has appeared in the No Sleep podcast, Pulp Magazine, Exploits, and a number of anthologies from Flame Tree Press and Erie River Publishing, among others. You can find more of their work on their website, eewchristman.com. Children of the Night, join me for E.E.W. Christman's Bella's Brood, a Tales to Terrify original. The wretched teenager with too much eyeliner. In truth, they were all wretched, and they all wore too much eyeliner. But this wretched teen with too much eyeliner also wore a hat. Spoke first, with a wit of authority. Welcome, darklings, baby bats, the hellspawn of Satan's loins. Wanting giggled, then yelped when they got an elbow to the ribs. To the Midnight Circle. Wasn't that a show? Someone whispered. No, I think that was the Midnight Society. Someone else said. The teen with the hat shushed them. To the Midnight Circle, he repeated. Where we, the denizens of the night, gather to perform our dark rituals. For we, he paused, and still no one noticed me. Then the big reveal, the prestige of his act, are vampires. The wretched teens nodded sagely as their behatted leader took a seat on a gravestone. One of them actually snapped her goddamn fingers like they were at an open mic night. The teen with the hat began passing out solo cups with a viscous red something in them. Now it is time for the unholy sacrament, my darklings. To truly be children of the night, we must feed. He actually did a Bella Lugosi impression when he said, Children of the night. I was dying. One of the gothy teenagers, this one in a decrepit Robert Smith shirt, sniffed the proffered cup suspiciously. She, of all the wretched teens with too much eyeliner, looked the least excited about the prospect of being a child of the night. Her face was gently illuminated by the electric glow of her phone. From my perch behind her, I could see she was scrolling through vintage band shirts on Etsy. What is this? The cure fan asked. The blood of the innocent. It smells like tomato juice and vodka. For fuck's sake, Tara, just drink it. The teen with the hat said, letting his dramatic repost drop for just a second. The cure fan, Tara, drank the blood warily, then whispered to the girl next to her, It's tomato juice and vodka. By consuming the blood of the innocent, we feed our infernal engines for one more night, the teen with the hat said, a little too loudly. Now drink, my darklings, and dance the night away. With a flourish of his hand, 
The alpha goth pressed something on his phone, and Bauhaus started pumping through a portable speaker. Yet another teen. I found I couldn't quite keep track of them all, for they were all so similar. Where did one black pleather trench coat end and the next one begin? Raised his hand. What, Gene? We don't have to dance, do we? Oh my god, Gene, no. Do whatever the hell you want. What is the point of being a vampire if you can't do whatever you want? What indeed, I thought. Cool. Gene lit a joint. A few lesser goths began shuffling to the music. A few others started making out. Not the alpha goth in the hat, though. He looked a little defeated. His midnight circle was probably not going the way he'd hoped. I felt bad for him. I get it, you know. You want all that crap you see in Dracula or whatever. I said, revealing myself because I was tired of waiting. Plus, I was getting so very, very hungry. A few of the wretched teenagers turned, eyes widening as they found the fangs embedded in my grin. You want sexual liberation, freedom from constraints, all that. But the sad and boring truth is that everything has rules, even vampirism. Like, have any of you even read Dracula? Loneliness will sit over our roofs with brooding wings. Does that sound fun to you? You'll never be free, except in death. In which case, I'm doing you a favor. A few of the wretched teens backed away. One screamed. But it was already too late. When everything was once again quiet and dead in the graveyard, I looked up at the sky. The moon was full tonight. That had probably been why they were here. A clear, full moon night in October. The perfect backdrop to play make-believe for a few hours. Our ways are not your ways, and there shall be to you many strange things. Listen to them. I whisper to the corpses beneath the earth and beneath my feet. Children of the night. That was Bella's Brood by E.E.W. Christman, as read by Crystal Hammond. Crystal Hammond is a narrator-slash-writer, cancer survivor, and non-binary queer human. They grew up in rural North Carolina, nurtured by a steady diet of local Blackbeard legends and Confederate ghost stories. These nuggets of folktale and myth fostered a lifelong love of storytelling and all the drama that goes with it. They also have a master's degree in biological anthropology and adore ugly cats. Feel free to check out their narration website at crystalhammond.com or find them on Twitter at thekmhammond. Thank you, Crystal. Well, children of the night, the hour has grown late, the demons have been subdued, and we've run out of tales to tell for now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show 
to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show for free? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you stream, and leave us a five-star review. We really do read our reviews, and you'll help convert new listeners to the terrifying tales we provide. Share your love of Tales to Terrify out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy, custom, and curated designs. Tales to Terrify is produced by Drew Sebastini, Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Meredith Morgenstern. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Join us again next week as we emerge from the shadows with more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.